0: Welcome to Outbless Weekly, the four-day-a-week Bible study led by Michael Metcalf. Join us live or listen to Outbless Weekly podcast later at Outbless.com. Listen as Michael teaches the Bible verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter in an easy-to-understand format, as he is led by the Holy Spirit and brings the Word to life. Listeners learn how God outblessed us all by sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay for our sins and how God raised him from the dead three days later. Jesus is the risen Lord and Savior and is actively working in every believer's life to outbless them today. Come and listen to the heart of a servant and be outblessed again.
1: Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we could come together today to study your word. We ask and pray, Father, that you would be our teacher, not me. And so we ask, Lord, that you teach us what you want us to know, that you would guide our thoughts and our actions. And, Father, I thank you that you know the intents of our heart and the motives that are behind the decisions that we make. And so I pray, God, that as we read your word, you'll change the way we think, you'll change our motives, you'll change the way we make decisions, and you'll help us, God, to make decisions wisely according to your word. So, Father, as we read, um, the second chapter of Romans, I pray that it would speak clearly. I pray you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, but more importantly, hearts to that are ready, that are mold, moldable and ready to receive that which you want to teach us. So we commit this time to you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, that you'll help us understand it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Romans chapter 2 is about the impartiality of God, and so if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another you condemn yourself, and for you who judge, practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And so this chapter, it starts with this word, therefore, and that's because of the long list of sins that we had read yesterday, chapter 1, verses 26 through 32. And so he said that you have no excuse. And so everyone who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge practices the same thing. So... Be careful not to start wagging your finger and condemning people, you know, newsflash, because we've all sinned, we're all blown it. None of us are perfect, but, you know, some of us are judging others and then we're practicing the same thing. That's very hypocritical. And so we don't want to be hypocrites and we don't want to be judging other people for the things that they're doing wrong. And certainly not when you're doing the same thing. And so he says that we know that judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So practicing, by the way, is continuing to sin knowing it's wrong. That's that's really what is behind that word sin. It, it, It implies that you're practicing it, that you're repeating it, that you're continuing to do that even though you know you're not supposed to. And so he says, do you suppose this, oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and you do them the self and you do them the same yourself that you will escape the judgment of God the, the obvious answer is no we're not and so it's not going to go well for either party it's not going to go well for the person who's continuing in sin and it's not going to go well for those of us who kind of get the holy finger out and wag it or are casting judgment on those who are doing it and so, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Man, this is a, a, a giant concept in scripture that we should not think lightly of his riches of his kindness and his tolerance and his patience. Man, I can look back at the younger years of my life and go, wow, God was certainly patient with me. And he's certainly been kind enough to forgive me and let me into heaven. And so he tolerated me, he had patience with me. You might say the same of yourselves. And and then he says this, and this is the big, huge aha. It's the it's the kindness of God or the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. So when you when you realize that God loves you in spite of what you did, in spite of the things that you did wrong. You you just get overwhelmed by that and you become thankful for that. And you know what happens is when that you realize God's still willing to forgive you and he still loves you in spite of that, it makes you want to change. It makes you want to stop practicing sin of any kind. It's not because you're afraid of the stick that that awaits you in heaven, the correction, if you would, but you just realize that God's such a loving father that you really want to comply. You want to make him happy. You want him to smile at you. And so you just kind of willingly give up that stuff. So it's not the wrath of God that calls a man or woman to repent. It's the goodness or the kindness of God that calls us to repent. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being patient. (laughs) Thank you, Father, for being tolerant of us, Lord, because we've all done a lot of crazy, stupid things. And we admit it. And we ask that you forgive us for it and we thank you, God, that you do. So continuing in verse five, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So, because of the stubbornness and unrepentant heart, those are the two conditions that we need to be concerned about, be worried about. Sometimes we have stubborn hearts or unrepentant hearts, which means we're not willing to repent. We're not willing to give up our sin. And if you're being stubborn about sort of caving into what God tells you you ought to do or change, and you're not willing to repent, it says that you're storing up wrath for yourself. Wow, that doesn't sound like anything I want to store up. Hopefully, that doesn't sound like anything that you want to store up. And so, don't be stubborn about giving in to what God is trying to teach you, and don't remain, you know, caught up in some sin that you're not willing to repent from, or you're going to get the wrath that's been stored up. And so, pray that God breaks the stubbornness and the unrepentant heart, it's deadly it results in you receiving the wrath that was stored up. And so don't fool yourself. God will render to each person according to his deeds. And so to those by perseverance and doing good, that means that you keep doing good in spite of the opposition and the problems, and you seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. This speaks about what we're seeking And what are the real goals that are in our heart? And so ask yourself the question, are you seeking glory and honor and immortality with the view of eternal life? If that's what you're seeking, praise God, you're going to get what you're seeking. And so somebody said it once, I think really great. They said, whatever you focus the camera of your life on, that's what you're going to develop. And so if you're focusing on heaven and you're focusing on God's word and you're focusing on trying to please the Lord, then that picture is what's going to develop in your life. And you're going to find yourself ending up in heaven and celebrating and praising God and singing with countless numbers of angels and other believers by your side. But the opposite is also true. So those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness, It says wrath and indignation. And so there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. And so if what you seek and follow after is selfish ambition and you won't obey God, then extreme difficulty is on the way and it's in your immediate path. It's urgent. It means you better pay attention to this message and stop what you're doing and repent and turn from your sin And ask the Lord to forgive you. It's the only chance that you have to get saved from your sin. And so God's going to be a just rewarder of each of us, right? If you're chasing after that which is good, he's going to give you good. But if you're chasing after that which is evil, because you're stubborn and you're unrepentant, then you're going to to pay the piper if you would. But thank God that glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. Because there's no partiality with God. And so God is uh, what I like to call an equal opportunity blesser. (laughs) He wants to bless everybody. That's That's his desire. He wants to bless you. And so just be an obedient kid. Listen to what he has to say and just say, yes, Father, I'll do that. Or if he tells you something that you need to change or if he gives you some form of correction, just receive it. Because the things he's telling you to change or the correction that he's giving you are for your own good. They're not for you to to spoil your day or ruin the fun. It's because God knows what's best for me and knows what's best for you. And so verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. They're going to die anyway, and they're going to die in their sin. And all who have died under the law are going to be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law are going to be justified. So if you know the Ten Commandments and you're not doing them, you're not a doer, you don't get justified. But check this out. When the Gentiles who do not have the law meaning they might not have known all Ten Commandments, they may not have read the Bible, but they do instinctively the things of the law. These not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. So they know there's something in man and something in woman where you know if you're doing right or wrong, right? And so it's called a conscience, and if you're doing right and you're not, you know, your, your conscience is not bothering you, even before you knew the word of God or started studying it, that's a good thing because I think God's going to be merciful to you. And so their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So good news. God knows your heart. He knows if you're will, if you're willfully doing wrong or not. And you know it. God knows it. He knows the secrets of men. And so it's what's in your heart. And as long as you're not doing anything in your heart that you believe to be wrong, then it's probably going to be okay. But if you're doing something that you know in your heart that's wrong and you already know that God would not be pleased about it, then you ought to change it so that God's not angry with you and God doesn't judge you for it. And so these are matters of the heart. It goes beyond the law, beyond words, and it goes into the feelings that you have in your heart about what's right and what's wrong. So now in verse 17, the Jew is condemned by the law. But if you bear the name Jew and you rely upon the law and you boast in God and you know his will and you approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? So this is kind of interesting. It says, if you bear the name Jew, this is a message to the Jewish peoples. And it says, And rely upon the law and boast in God. That means they're Jewish people who are trained up in the law. They know the law and they boast about the fact that they're keeping it. And so they know his will and they approve the things that are essential. That means they agree with what God's word says. They're being instructed out of the law. So they were taught, they studied it, they know it. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind What does that mean? It means these people that he's referring to are probably spiritual leaders. They're probably priests, right? They're people who know the law. They agree with the law. They're telling other people they need to follow the law and that that's the only way they're going to get into heaven. And so they call themselves a corrector of the foolish. That means they're telling people who are sinning to stop. That's a good thing to do. But it says a teacher of the immature... That means a wise teacher, someone who's been studying the Bible for a long time, who knows it well, is teaching the younger people who maybe not don't know it as well so that they can be clear about what does God have to say about various things. And so having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, that's definitely the word of God. The embodiment of knowledge and truth is the word of God. And then it says this, though, You therefore, because of all this, listen to this, do you not teach yourself? Ouch. That's big hypocrisy. In other words, these these guys that are wearing the big robes and have the big positions, they're the ones who are the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who've been studying the book and teaching the book and telling people they need to live by it, but yet they're they're not living by those same rules. And so the idea is that uh, their judgment's going to be even more severe. They knew better. They shouldn't have done that. You can't just go around teaching everybody else and not pay attention to the same rules for you. And so you who preach, that one shall not steal. Do you steal? And you who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Or you who abhor idols, do you rob temples, or you who boast in the law through your, uh, though sorry through your breaking the law? Do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because because of you, just as as it is written. Wow, so people who preach, they're Bible teachers, they're religious leaders, they're merely men. You should never look up to one of them as if they're more important than you, more holy than you, or anything else. Because they're all men and women. They're all just humans. And they're just as prone to sin as anybody else is. And so he says, if you're telling other people not to steal, are you stealing? Or if you're telling people they shouldn't commit adultery, are you involved in that? And all these things are basically saying, you can't say rules for thee and not for me. The rules apply to all of us, whether you're a teacher or not, whether you wear a robe or not, whether you have the title or not, whether you went to Bible school or not. The rules are going to apply universally to everybody. So verse 25, for indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, And not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. And so I think all of this is kind of pointing to the fact that it's what's on the inside that counts. It's not the outward appearance, it's not the things that you say, the clothes that you wear, the title that you have, or the big words that you use, but it's what's in your heart. Are you doing, obeying, following God from your heart? so that your feet are following your heart. That's the issue. Circumcision is only a value if you practice the law. And so you could be circumcised, you could know all the law, you could follow all the religious uh, rites and and habits and practices, but if you're still breaking the law, it's not going to do you any good. And so Paul tells us that cutting away of the flesh is the deciding factor. So true circumcision is one inwardly of the heart. It means that you have decided in your heart that you're going to try to follow God. You're going to try to follow the spirit of God and those things that pertain to heaven rather than that which appeals to your flesh. And that takes a conscious decision for you to do that. It takes a conscious decision for me. You have to deny your flesh. I have to deny my flesh. I have to choose to follow God. Right? That's not the natural. That's not the, way you were, that's, not, that's not the way you were made when you were born. You have to choose that, and you have to subdue the flesh and not give into it. And so that's the matter of the heart and how you're following by spirit. Romans chapter 10, in verse 10, it says, For with the heart a person believes which is resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. And so it really is a matter of the heart. What's in your heart? Do you believe in your heart that God loves you and he sent Jesus Christ down here to die for you? If you believe that in your heart, then you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That means that you're submitting to him. That means that you're acknowledging his leadership over your life, over your decisions. And when you invite him to become the Lord and Savior of your life, it means that you're willing, you're telling him that you're willing to change whatever it is that you need to change to kind of bring your life in compliance with what his word has to say to you. And so it's a very good thing for us to consider that ourselves and ask ourselves if that's the situation that we're in. Because if you're in any other situation than that, you haven't given your heart to God, then you're just like every other man or every other woman and you're being bounced around by the flesh. And so you give into your hunger or you give in to greed or you give in to lust and you do all these things that the flesh wants you to do. And so a great big step I think in turning your ship today is doing exactly what we're all in this conference call doing right now, which is to read the word of God, speak the word of God out loud, believe the word of God, and then say, God, change us now from the inside out and start with our heart. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would search our hearts and that you would show each one of us, God, if there's anything wrong, if there's anything in our hearts that We haven't conceded yet. We're still holding on to. Or whatever it is that that we have not confessed yet, Lord, I pray right now, Father God, that we would confess it. And so wash us in the blood of the Lamb again right now, Lord. Forgive us for our sins, God. We do believe your word. We do believe, Jesus, you came down from heaven We do believe that you were born as a man and suffered and were tempted just like we were. And yet you were perfect. You never sinned. And then you allowed yourself to be crucified to pay for our sins. So you willingly paid the debt for us that we deserve. It wasn't a debt you deserved. And by you doing that, you redeemed us back to God. You paid our our, our bill for the sin that we've all committed. And so, by grace, you have saved us. You forgave us, even though we don't deserve it. And so, Lord, it was a a matter of the heart. It started with the heart of the Father, who so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son. And because you first loved us, God, we want to love you back now. And so, we thank you for sending Jesus, and we receive you, Lord Jesus. And we confess that we're sinners. We ask you to forgive us. We repent, which means that we turn the opposite direction to the very best of our ability, God. We don't want to sin anymore. We want to chase after you and do things right. And we want to treat people with respect and love and grace and mercy and all the things that you taught us and showed us and demonstrated for us to follow. But truthfully, God, none of us can do this unless you help us through your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you rise up in every heart right now, Lord, and that you would clean house, get rid of anything in our hearts or our minds that don't belong, and help us God to commit our lives to you again and again, and to keep being persistent about reading the word and getting instruction from you, and then conforming our lives into the way in which we should go, that you would be well pleased with us, Lord, that you would guide our steps, Lord. And that you would make us lovable children. And so I just thank you that you're gonna keep doing that, Lord. And I'm gonna thank you right now that you're gonna be faithful to complete the work that you started in each one of us, Lord. And so thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your word. And thank you, God, that we have the freedom to choose each one of us today whom we're gonna serve. And so we can choose to serve our flesh and follow the thoughts of our mind or we could choose to follow your word and by faith in Jesus Christ we could be transformed into eternal beings. And so help us to choose wisely today and every day lord as we are on this journey. And I thank you god that you're with us that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us and that you sent the helper the holy spirit the holy spirit to help us one step at a time one hour at a time, one day at a time, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need your help today. Help each one of us now in overcoming the flesh, overcoming the world, overcoming the temptation, overcoming the doubt, the worry, the fears that come along. Help us, God, to be men and women of faith that trust you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Outbless Weekly, the four-day-a-week Bible study by Michael Metcalf. If this study helped you, please join us again four days a week at OutBless.com. You can listen live or listen later at your convenience. And don't forget to go outbless someone else today by sharing what you have learned. May the Lord richly bless you as you continue to study and seek His face.